If you would please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 1 to 16 this morning. I want to extend a special welcome to our college students. Uh, it's so good to have you back in Savannah, back on campus. Uh, the Lord has strategically placed Bull Street Baptist Church right in the middle of the SCAD campus. And we are making disciples among the nations right here. There's over 96 nations represented on the campus of SCAD. Uh, this year, we've been preparing uh, for an exciting uh, quarter, first quarter back in our uh, New Porch College building. And so we're excited to see what the Lord is going to do. We've added two staff members, uh, part-time staff members, Kelsey Williams. Where's Kelsey? There she is right back there with her fiancé, Brett. Kelsey is going to be working part-time as our Director of College Women's Discipleship, working alongside Tim and helping disciple our young women right here at Bull Street and through this ministry and reaching the campus. And then Megan Clark. Where's Me Me Megan Clark is right there. We're so glad to have Megan back. Uh, she was discipled by Paige uh, Westberg several years ago, and we're excited to have her back as an intern uh, this fall quarter, and we know the Lord is going to use her in a mighty way. So let's welcome our college students with a big Bull Street welcome. <laughs> Wonderful. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 16. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you, Capernaum. 
Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things from your law, Lord, that you would implant your word deep in our hearts and bring about life change. Lord, would you move us today through your word? Would you change our heart, change our affections, renew our minds? And we pray in accordance with your will that you would even raise the dead. Lord, bring life today through the gospel, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've been going through the gospel of Luke since last December, over nine months. We had a turning point a couple weeks ago when we hit chapter 9, verse 51, and Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem, remember, he fixed his face like flint to go towards the cross. And Luke is recording for us the, the words of Jesus. Uh, up until now, he's been presenting the, the mighty works of Jesus, that we would know the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in this section, all the way through chapter 19, verse 27, He's going to be presenting the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at prayer, uh, one of the themes of Luke. But we're going to have several messages on prayer. In fact, three messages on prayer. There, then we're going to be looking at about five messages on what Jesus says about money and possessions. And then another four or five messages on how we are to treat uh, others, those who are the least of these, those who are the outcast, the rejected of society. Uh, we're going to be learning what Jesus says. And, and so much of this section is comprised in these categories. And so we're uh, looking at kind of three mini-series as we go through uh, these next ten chapters Jesus sends out the 72 in this passage. It's very similar to sending out the 12 apostles in the passage earlier that we looked at. But he tells them that there is going to be persecution, there's going to be opposition. It's dangerous. He's sending out lambs in the midst of wolves. He tells them that they must be completely dependent upon the Lord for him to provide everything for them. And there will be some who will receive their message and many who will reject their message. And when they reject the message of the 72 that goes out, they will really be rejecting Jesus and they will be rejecting the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who sent Jesus to seek and to save the lost. The three woes to Chorazin and to Capernaum and Bethsaida, speaking of the judgment that comes when we reject Jesus. But I want us to look at one verse in particular today. 
And we're going to look at earnest prayer and the task of missions. It's one verse, verse 2. Let me read it again. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The first thing I want us to notice is this. We need a fresh reminder of how great the harvest is. We need a fresh reminder of how great the harvest is. Notice Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, it's bountiful. I can remember last summer when we drove out west, family vacation, coast to coast, once in a lifetime opportunity, and we drove through Kansas, and Joel and Caitlin and (laughs) Catherine and Emily, I, I was surprised, but I was amazed by Kansas. I was blown away at how gorgeous it was. Uh, and I was amazed by the harvest that was about to be brought in. The wheat fields were absolutely amazing. And they went on and on and on and found out that, that Kansas is the number two state in, in wheat harvest in the country. And it's, it's massive. And you could go miles and miles and see the incredible harvest is out there. And I, I wouldn't have thought about it. And it's absolutely overwhelming and beautiful. And what Jesus is telling the 72 before he sends them out is that the harvest is plentiful. It's huge. It's massive. It's it's bigger and more glorious than you could ever imagine. See, there is a great harvest of disciples who will come into the kingdom through hearing and believing the gospel. A great harvest harvest. Yet we tend to think of how few the numbers will be in comparison to the masses. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many go through that gate. And narrow is the gate that leads to life, and very few find it. So yes, in comparison to the masses, there is a few. But Jesus is pointing us to the bounty of the harvest. Let's zoom out and get a glimpse of God's global purposes for just a minute. His purpose to be exalted among the nations. And hopefully we'll be able to put this few in perspective. So I go back to Genesis chapter 12 and look at the Abrahamic promise 
where the Lord says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, all the families of the earth. In Genesis chapter 15, the Lord says, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then in Genesis chapter 17, verse four, behold, my covenant is with you, the Lord says. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And the Apostle Paul helps us understand who this offspring is when he says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. You see, this promise is going to Christ. That in Christ, all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And it's going to be a plentiful harvest. It's going to be an abundant harvest of people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language around the throne. We see this in Psalm chapter 2. The Father speaks to the Son. And He says in verse 6, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. In Psalm chapter 86, verses nine and 10, the psalmist says, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Did you catch that? All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. They will come. And they will bow before the Lord and they will worship and glorify his name, all of the nations that he has made. And we see this beginning to unfold in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when people from all over are there in Jerusalem, from all of the nations, many, many nations represented right there. And the gospel goes forth in the preaching of Peter and 3,000 people are converted and the gospel goes forth from that place among the nations. And we see in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, a great vision. 
that John sees and he says, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The, the harvest is great a multitude that nobody could even number from among all the nations around the throne of Jesus. We need a fresh reminder of how great the harvest is, not how few will be there, but how great and how many will be there around the throne of Jesus. Number two, we need a sobering reminder of how great the task is. A sobering reminder of how great the task is. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Literally, he says, on the, on the one hand, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You see, there's only a small number of laborers to do the necessary work of bringing in this great harvest. And the necessary work of bringing in the harvest is the work of gospel proclamation. That's how sinners are saved. That's how sinners are born again to eternal life. That's how disciples come into the kingdom. James says in James 1.18, they are brought forth by the word of truth. In 1 Peter 1, verses 23 to 25, they are born again through the living and abiding Word of God. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. That's how sinners are brought forth, is by the Word, the, the living and abiding Word of God. And that is the gospel that was preached to you. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 17, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we should have great confidence there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You see, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him if they've never heard of him? How are they to believe on him if they've never heard the bad news about their condition? How their sin has made a separation between them and God. And how God has made a way, how God in his kindness and in his mercy has sent his son, his one and only son, to seek and to save the lost who, who came, who, who robed himself in human flesh, who humbled himself 
and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, who fixed his face like flint to go to the cross to stand in the place of sinners and bear the very wrath of God, and then to be raised again on the third day to reconcile sinners to a holy God. How are they going to be saved unless they know this good news? And how are people going to know unless we send them? Unless we send people to take this good news to the ends of the earth. The International Mission Board gives some stats from 2020, noting that the global population right now is 7,809,354,098. Over 7.8 billion people and right now, 155,473 are dying without Christ every single day. It's two people every second. Entering into a Christless eternity. And right now, there are over 3,100 unreached and unengaged people groups on the planet. They're unreached because, as many missionaries have said, they're hard to reach. The access is closed in many places. They're very difficult to reach and unengaged because no workers are being sent there. And we know that there will be some around the throne of Jesus from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. We know this. John sees this in his vision in Revelation. You see, the harvest is huge. But the work to bring in this great harvest is massive. It's more than I can do, more than we can do, more than the 12 could do, more than the 72 could do. We need more laborers. The task is massive. We need a sobering reminder of how great the task is. And Jesus lays out how bountiful the harvest is. We see how great the task is because of how few the laborers are. But the answer is not to be overwhelmed by how great the task is and to shrink back and give up. And so many times we do that. We get overwhelmed when a task is too great and we quit. We shrink back, we give up, or we grow lazy and lackadaisical or apathetic. But Jesus lays out the reality of the harvest and the labors, and he says, therefore. Consequently. So then, this is what you need to do. You need to pray. You need to pray. So lest we grow weary in our responsibility to pray, Excuse me. Number three, we need an urgent reminder of how necessary prayer is in the task of missions. 
We need an urgent reminder of how necessary prayer is in the task of missions. Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Jesus says, you plead with the Lord. You beg the Lord, the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers. This is earnest, pleading prayer. Asking, begging the Lord, seeing the greatness of the harvest, seeing how few the laborers are, seeing the need, seeing the opportunity, and begging the Lord to send out laborers. Literally, the word is to thrust out workers. (laughs) Begging the Lord to thrust out workers. And it could be to call and raise up and send out new workers. Or it could be thrust out workers who are being apathetic right now and are not working like they should. They've grown weary, they've grown tired, and they need to get back out. Praying the Lord to thrust out workers, laborers into the fields to bring in this great harvest. See, this is an urgent plea for more God-called workers to be sent out to proclaim the good news among the nations. A couple things come to mind. First is, what is prayer? What is prayer? Jesus says, pray. What is is prayer? J.I. Packer says this in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He says, prayer is a confessing of impotence and need an acknowledging of helplessness and dependence and an invoking of the mighty power of God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You see, it's not our harvest. We can't call workers. They must be God called. So we pray and ask God to do that which only He can do. We are powerless. We need God to move and to raise up and to call out and to thrust out workers into this massive harvest field. What is prayer for? And so many times we think of prayer as really asking for the things in life to make our life easier and more comfortable. And Piper says we miss the whole point when we pray this way. John Piper says in Let the Nations Be Glad, one of the greatest books on missions ever written, he says, God has given us prayer because Jesus has given us a mission. We are on this earth to press back the forces of darkness, and we are given access to headquarters by prayer to advance this cause. When we turn it into a civilian intercom to increase our conveniences, it stops working and our faith begins to falter. 
We have so domesticated prayer that for many of us, it is no longer what it was designed to be. A wartime walkie-talkie for the accomplishment of Christ's mission. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. But you might say, does prayer make a difference? I mean, God's global purposes are according to his sovereign plans. He will get the glory among the nations. He will bring those in from among every nation. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So does prayer make a difference? God is sovereign and man is responsible, but how does prayer fit in? John Onwachuka says in his book on prayer, how praying together shapes the church. He says, prayer is the link in the chain that connects God's sovereignty to our responsibility. Where do missionaries come from? Jesus seems to think they come as a result of God responding to our prayers. By praying for laborers, God raises up gospel workers and reminds those of us who are inactive that it starts with us. Ian Bounds, in his great work called the, on prayer, called The Complete work, Works of Ian Bounds on Prayer, he says, missionaries like ministers are born of praying people. A praying church begets laborers in the harvest field of the world. The scarcity of missionaries argues a non-praying church. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that you begged the Lord? that you prayed earnestly to the Lord to send out more laborers into the world to reach the unreached of the world, the unengaged of the world. Lord, they, they need somebody there to tell them the good news of Jesus. God, would you, would you raise somebody up? Would you send somebody out? Would you thrust out workers to reach the nations? When was the last time you or I made that a focus of our prayer during the week? We probably haven't prayed like that like we ought. If we really saw the glory of the harvest, if we really saw the greatness of the task, we'd pray. That would be the consequence of us seeing the need and the opportunity and the glory that God would get the glory that he deserves from among all the nations. You see, in one sense, all of us who are followers of Christ are called and sent, right? We all have the responsibility to proclaim the good news of Christ wherever we are and wherever we go. God has sovereignly placed this church, this congregation in Savannah, Georgia to reach this city and those who come to our city through our influence, that God has given us this responsibility. But it doesn't stop there, it starts there. See, not all of us 
have the responsibility to reach everybody here individually and to reach the world individually. But the church has the responsibility to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus has given us a commission, a great commission. So it's bigger than me, it's bigger than you, it's bigger than us. But we all must be faithful where the Lord has placed us. We all have the responsibility to work together, cooperate together, whether in praying or sending, giving or going. Not everybody is called to be a missionary, but some are. And we need to pray that more would be. We need to pray for more workers, not warm bodies, but faithful God-called and God-sent missionaries. I think in recent days, in the effort to make missions more palatable and to get everybody involved in missions, a lot of the teaching has been we're all missionaries. Rather than we all have the responsibility to evangelize and make disciples, but if we use the traditional understanding of what a missionary is, not all of us are missionaries. And we need to pray that God would raise up more missionaries. Andy Johnson says this in his book on missions, really the, the local church responsibility and missions he says, when I refer to a missionary, I don't mean any Christian who lives cross-culturally and shares the gospel. I'll stick with the historic, traditional understanding of a missionary as someone identified and sent out by local churches to make the gospel known and to gather, serve, and strengthen local churches across ethnic, linguistic, or geographic divides, how are they identified? They're identified as being God-called. We identify them as they've got the call of God on their life to go and to make disciples among the nations. And so they're sent out by the local church. So in one sense, all of us are called and sent and have the responsibility to make disciples and to share the gospel, to preach the good news of the kingdom. But in another sense, there are those that the Lord calls to go, to cross oceans and cultures, to learn languages, to reach the unreached peoples of the earth. And because there are so many people that have never heard of the name of Jesus, and so many people are dying and entering a Christless eternity without ever hearing the name of Jesus. We need to pray that God would raise up and send out and thrust out more workers into the field. See, God has ordained prayer as a necessary means of accomplishing His glorious purposes in the world. So we need to pray, trusting that God will move, that He will respond that this is his will. We're praying in accordance with his will. But isn't it easy to grow weary in our responsibility to pray? We give up way too easily. 
So number four, and our final point, we need an encouraging reminder that the harvest belongs to the Lord. We need an encouraging reminder that the harvest belongs to the Lord. Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, get this, into his harvest. It's not our harvest, it's his. It's his mission, it's his harvest, his glorious purposes to be exalted among all of the nations of the earth. And the beauty is that he will accomplish all of his holy will among the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. He will get the glory. We see it in the book of Revelation, chapter 7. John sees it, and we see it. And Jesus promises He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. He will build his church. John Piper says in Let the Nations Be Glad, the New Testament makes clear that God has not left his great commission to the uncertainties of the human will. The Lord said from the beginning, I will build my church. World missions is supremely the work of the risen Lord Jesus, and that should encourage us. See, the harvest is amazing. It's glorious. When was the last time that that truth, reality, moved you? So many times it's the need, the lostness, And yet in this passage, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. And that should motivate us. The workers are few, and that should motivate us. Jesus says, pray. Pray earnestly. Beg that the Lord would thrust out workers into the field. We should be obedient to that command. But when we grow weary... We need to remember that it's not our harvest, it's the Lord's harvest. It's his mission, and he is sending us out for his glory among the nations. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 86, verses 9 and 10. He said, all the nations you have made shall come and shall worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. It will happen. And John sees it. Revelation, a great multitude, more than anybody could number. People from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language gathered around the throne, worshiping. Salvation belongs to our God. Attributing salvation to the Lord alone. You see, it's the Lord's bountiful harvest to the praise and glory of his grace so be encouraged keep praying don't give up what do we need to do how do we apply this text let me just give us a few brief applications number one we need to hear the words of our savior we need to hear 
We need to let his words sink in. We need to meditate on the glory of what we're hearing. And we need to let his words move us. God, would it be that all of your people would be captured by a great vision of seeing your glory among the nations. Lord, this needs to move us. So that's what we need to do. We need to hear the words of our Savior and let it sink in and let it renew our minds and meditate on this great reality. But number two, we need to make adjustments in our prayer lives. I think this is the clearest one right here. We need to make adjustments in our prayer lives. In what we pray for individually, we need to see the urgency. And we need to make this a priority. We need to add this in a in a major way to the list of what we pray for. It needs to move to the top. Lord, would you pray, send out workers into the harvest? Would you raise up? Would you call out? Would you thrust forth? We need to make adjustments in how we pray individually. Jesus calls us to a passionate prayer an earnest prayer. But it also should make it, we should make changes in, in what we pray for corporately. We need to pray as a church more that the Lord would raise up and send out workers into the harvest. And we need to pray that God would so bless us by raising people up from our congregation and sending out from our congregation that we would have that great privilege. That should move to the top of our prayer list. And we should pray different corporately. We should pray passionately. We should pray earnestly to bring about God's purposes among the nations. Number three, we need to expect that God will answer our prayers. You see, this is praying in accordance with the will of God. We, we can know that this is what God wants us to pray for, and that this is the kind of prayer that He will answer. So we should expect that God will answer our prayers. And fourth and finally, we need to recognize and celebrate when God is raising up a worker to send out. We need to participate in that process and recognize and celebrate when God is moving in somebody's life. And celebrate that God is raising up a worker to send them to the nations I pray that we would have a great celebration that would continue on and on, that the Lord would raise up many people in this congregation and that we would have the privilege of sending them out having recognized that they are God called. So I pray that this will change 
maybe our priorities in prayer, that we will be moved by God's glory among the nations. It won't be just because of the need. The need is great. But first of all, that we'll be motivated by the glory of God, that this is a great harvest, and it's to the praise and glory of His grace, and that should move us outward. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would work through your word by your Holy Spirit. Lord, renew our minds, help us, change us. Make us more effective for the kingdom. And Lord, we do pray in the name of Jesus that you would call out Raise up and send forth more and more workers into the field. Lord, there is a great need. We recognize it. But we want you to receive the glory that is due your name. So please do that to the praise and glory of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.